This is Confessions of a Pastor. A relentlessly real peek behind the scenes of Journey Church in Bend, Oregon. From church in a strip club to a strip mall. Going where Jesus would go to reach people Jesus would reach. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All for the glory of God. A journey of misery and miracles. Your hosts are the founders, Pastor Keith and Kara. There really is hope for everyone. Well, everyone, it's beginning to look a lot like... Christmas and winter. I've got my Christmas tea in hand, so if you hear me slurping, sipping, that's because it's cold outside, everybody. <laughs> Wherever you are listening, we are in beautiful Bend, Oregon, but this time of year, it starts to feel like hell has frozen over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just think about all the oil you put all over yourself. Yes, because it's dry. Too. I know, I know. It's a dry time of year. It's cold. My skin cracks. I'm just getting real, y'all. I've got like elephant skin this time of year, so I got to lather it with oil. That's right, friends. We don't plan what we're going to say here. This is Confessions of a Pastor. You're joining Keith and Kara, the lead and founding pastors of Journey Church. And we're going to have a discussion today. That's going to be a good one. I'm actually excited about it because... Um... I think the more we um, talk about what God does and, mm-hmm. and what he's doing and um, the, the more we can encourage and edify and equip the saints. Yes. We're going to go back a few weeks. I want to share a little bit about what God did in Uganda as we had a mission trip from Journey Church in Bend. We went back for the first time since the pandemic and we experienced an anointing unlike anything I've experienced, I've been there a number of times, but there's something unique. We'll talk a little bit more about that. You think it was more of an anointing than prior trips? I do. For multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think the world is weird because of Mm post-pandemic. I think there was a shift, not just in uh, local, like our region. I think this is a worldwide shift that's taken place. There was pressure everywhere. Yep. including countries like Uganda, which is full of corruption. And they had a lot of oppression and regulations and rules and so forth during that time. And so what do you think that produced oh, I in don't, them, in us? I don't know. How do you think that shifted culture? I don't know exactly, but I, I think there's a, a similar spiritual uh, atmosphere where there's, there, there tended to be a refining that happened because of yes. that pandemic. Uh, a lot of people uh, quit going to church during that time. There was a shift in leadership. Um, some of the challenges that we felt coming through the pandemic, maybe coming out of the regulations and routines, what we experienced at Journey Church and in our leadership, mm-hmm. Pastor Alex and the City Church, Luzira, experienced something similar. We can get into those details today, specifically referring to the acknowledgement of uh, demonic activity yeah. uh, within uh, leadership and um, yeah, and, and so forth, and, and, and the way that people react. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, we did a... Uh, uh, crusade. And what we heard is the fruit of what we experienced in the crusade was not normal. Yeah. In fact, what I've heard is a number of crusades have been happening, at least in Uganda. I don't know about other places in Africa right now, but they're not getting the same fruit, fruit. that they did pre-pandemic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What we experienced was a very fruitful season. Yeah. Uh, many people getting saved, healed and then even delivered from demonic. And what I heard from a number of pastors was that was not normal. And so that's what I meant by anointing is there was anointing on our team. There was anointing on the city church team. And we were able to witness the work because of the power of the spirit. So to clarify or to define anointing, I mean the working of the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. We, yeah, amen. We, we see anointing in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we see it in present day. Mm-hmm. We should seek anointing. Uh, yeah. I think John says that in First John uh, that you know the. Um, I'm gonna look it up because I'm not even able to paraphrase it, but just the anointing work of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, you know, I, I wonder as I reflect on, as we're talking through those, those COVID years and the pandemic and the, the pressure it put, um, I, I can't help but, but think that, um, you know, the enemy tried to have his way, but gosh, it sure set us up for a, a movement of the spirit, come on, um, for like a, such a time as this moment, um, yes. of it now was the time <laughs> there, that, there's a defining moment in our lives where we've got to look and for the first year, remember 2020, that was the, the year from hell for everybody. The whole world, it was a year from hell. You know, there was supposed to be a two-week closure of everything in the world to flatten the curve. Remember that? Yeah. Two weeks that ended up being two years. But that first year, one of the common phrases, I'll never forget it because I heard it a lot at Journey Church, and then it came out of me. It was like a natural knee-jerk reaction was this. I just want it to be normal. I just want to go back to normal. That was the first year. After the second year, 2021, there was the massive divide. Yeah. After the in America, the racial mm-hmm. tensions, political tensions, new president, it, it, the restrictions at least on the West Coast and across the country in different ways, there was a shift. You you people quit saying I want it to go back to normal, and now they were fighting for what they believed was normal. Mm. You know, there there was there was our conservative. Yeah, uh, extremism that this is normal. Then there was a liberal extremism. This is normal. And then there was a tension in between of who are you and what do you stand for? That was the year of vaccinations. Right. You either do this or don't do that. And I believe during that time, there was a loss of anointing. We weren't seeking yeah. the spirit of God. Uh, and I, I'm generalizing for the church capital C. Uh, I've repented of of my reaction during that season. Mm-hmm. I think we should have sought the face of God. Yeah. We should have been on our knees mm-hmm. begging God for yeah. wisdom and anointing and Mercy. direction and yeah. uh, for God to move during that time. The verse I was looking for, Kara, is First John chapter two, verse twenty-seven. But the anointing, there's that word. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. I love that already. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. It's, you know, John says that anointing that is in you is true. And that's what I, I'm talking about in Uganda. It was true anointing. Yeah. It had nothing to do with talent. Mm-hmm. It had nothing to do with money. It's not like we spent a boatload of money and as a result, we saw fruit that came out yeah. of that. We're talking a humble team of diversity. We had someone who's 69 on our team. We had a 15-year-old on our team. Then we had everything in between. Yeah. We had uh, divorced singles. Uh, we had uh, just a married couple. Is a misfit team, 14 of us, much like the original 12 disciples. We were right? just a ragamuffin team. Yeah. So maybe tell us uh, a couple of things that really stick out to you as far as um, God-sized things that happened. Well, it started the day we arrived. And there were so many things that uh, just the moment we arrived, I think there was like a uh, an instant learning lesson of what God was trying to teach us. It felt like almost immediately it was a spiritual attack from the devil mm-hmm. because we landed, yet none of our luggage landed yeah. with us. So here you have 14 of us, many of us, two, three, four pieces of luggage because sometimes some of us brought extra stuff for the mission trip. No luggage. That's how it started. And because of that, most of the people on the plane didn't get their luggage. It was utter chaos. And, and the administrative team at the airport in Uganda is about the equivalent of maybe, uh, I don't mean to be rude towards anyone, but it's like, imagine taking third graders and giving them a job that day. Yeah. And these people, they, they didn't know what to do. They mm-hmm. didn't have a system in place. And it wasn't the first time. I guess this happens often, <laughs> but they didn't, they were so slow. They didn't, they didn't have paperwork prepared to give to people. Uh, they were extremely slow in processing each person. They type with two fingers, one on the right hand, one on the left hand. So, you know, that, like that movie, um, Oh, with the animals, it's animated, and there's a character that's a sloth that works at the DMV. <laughs> that when he goes to input people's information, everything he asks is in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes to type, it's in slow motion. It was like that. Mm-hmm. And here we are after more than 
boy, more than 20 hours, hours of, of oh. traveling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's in the plane. So yeah. probably nearly 30 hours of traveling yeah. and we have no luggage and our tested patients were in a small room with 50 other people all trying to fill out paperwork to get our luggage. Now that's how the trip started. Yeah. You were asking, tell us about something God did. That was a part of setting our hearts to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. We were there well over three hours trying to fill out paperwork. We were debating whether we should leave or come back. And all the advice from Ugandans is do not leave. because Oh, do it, not leave without your luggage? No, do not leave without filling out the paperwork oh, and all gotcha. the stuff. Because if you just leave hoping to come back, your luggage may not be there. If, if yeah. you don't have... If you don't do things properly now, later it's not going to help. Uh, you're going to have a hard time getting through and, and explaining everything. The stories are going to change and so forth. So after more than three hours of doing that, we finally leave the airport and we're greeted by the Ugandan team that's there to meet us. They'd been waiting that entire time and our flight was delayed. So they had been there six plus hours just waiting patiently outside. Wow. They greeted us with smiles. Everyone got roses. I got two dozen roses. Everyone on our team got like three roses. They were beautiful. They mm -hmm. greeted us with smiles and joy. And they came to pick us up. We got in a bus and we headed off and did ministry right away. Yeah. And the first ministry we did, Kara, it was so extreme because we went to the least of these. Yeah. We went to kids who are disabled, who often were overlooked because of the way they were born. And we got to see the heart of God in children and in disabled adults. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that was the day that I, I think we shared a little bit on this podcast. I'm not sure. I can't remember how much, but I instantly went with a group of about half of our team, maybe six of us, uh, six or seven of us. And we went and delivered goods to the homes of these families, uh, beans, rice, sugar, oil, and soap. And the families with the disabled kids? Yes. Okay. Uh, we went to about 20 homes, maybe less. And then the rest of them were to families that would pick it up in person at Stars Disabilities, a house where they minister and um, teach and uh, take care of these kids. When we went to these homes, we went to slums. When I say slums, it's a, a house that's maybe 10 by 10 made out of makeshift parts, you know, wood, metal, anything you can find, typically a cement uh, foundation. Uh, some have electricity, some do not. No running water, no bathrooms. And then you get to see the conditions of how these people uh, live day to day to day mm -hmm. and uh, their neighbors and uh, every single home they invited us in with extreme hospitality. Please, you are welcome. They would move aside something and have you sit on a crate, you know, like it's just instantly I was so humbled because everything I had planned for this mission trip on the first day within hours, I, I think I texted you that night or I called you and I just said, I just feel like I just went where, went where Jesus would go. Yeah. And I just hung out with people Jesus would hang out yeah, with. Absolutely. It was so humbling. Like right away there was a shift like, Oh, I have no clue pain. I have no mm -hmm. clue poverty. Yeah. I have, you know, it was just suffering. like, yeah, it yeah. was a, just a reality and suffering them with joy. Yeah. This is what you often see in a cross-cultural mission experience to a third world country. Yeah. And that's how the whole trip started. So it really set the stage for my heart, set the stage for the team. So then by Sunday, um, when we and we did some ministry Saturday. The women went and ministered to women of the church. Uh, Sunday night, the men ministered to the men. But Sunday afternoon, we went to what's called the Hope House. Journey Church helps support this as well. We have a sponsored child there. Uh, our family does. Mm -hmm. And these are girls who are sponsored to go to school. But they have challenges going to school because of their living conditions. Right. So many of them live in the very slums that I visited on Friday. They're in vulnerable places. They're exposed to uh, evil uh, at night. Uh, they're exposed to really dangerous things. And because of that, they either miss out on school. Um, they can't focus on school because they're not getting sleep. And so during the school year, Hope House is a safe space. Mm -hmm. It's got all these bunk beds. Um, these girls, they uh, cook and clean and share chores. I mean, they're getting up at 3, 4 in the morning. These young teenage girls... And they're helping clean, cook, do all these kind of things. Then they go to school, they work hard, and they're succeeding at their school. And these girls were sharing testimonies of parents dying, you know, and then being 
raised by one parent and then as a result essentially they're having to raise their younger siblings and just wild stories Mm -hmm. that was day number two to uh, being there. And so that was extremely humbling, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then we got to share some testimonies as well. And then seeing them get blessed by our testimonies, like this is God. Yeah. This is a universal God. The gospel is good news wherever you go. And then on Monday, I don't want to go through every day because we were there for 14 days, but on, on Monday, this was a third or fourth day. We did a huge parade with about 50 disabled kids and all their families. There was a member of parliament there from the Ugandan parliament who came to this parade. There was a leader of that community, the equivalent of what we would call mayor that came and disability in Uganda is not considered there there are no laws for disability in Uganda in America we have the ADA Act you know American Disability Act that yeah. um, that that makes sure to protect yeah. and advocate for those with disabilities there's nothing like that in mm-hmm. Uganda so a family that mistreats it or abuses a disabled person there's nothing there to protect them if yeah. businesses don't do anything for there's nothing there to protect them there's no laws for anybody to go to school with disabilities. In fact, they can culturally oftentimes be considered cursed. And then they're looked down upon by their own family members, Mm -hmm. by grandparents, cousins, aunt and uncles, all the neighbors. So now they're considered cursed. The family's considered cursed. And so there's a disassociation and tragically it even slips into the church. So on Monday we do this giant parade. There's this huge, um, marching band that was hired which journey church paid for all this uh marching band we had to hire police there was police in front of us throughout the parade in the back and then all these businesses homes schools all came out to watch this parade so we saw tens of thousands of people were waving at them and they would go from staring at you to massive smiles it's like this is what Jesus would do. Yeah. And at the end of it, we had a feast. There was food, there was cake, mm. there was music. Which there is was, also what Jesus would do, oh, right? it was just like, it was biblical. Yeah, You know, and our cool. team got to uh, preach and share testimonies and just, it was, it was absolutely awe-inspiring. And I was all, we did all that stuff before the crusade. Mm-hmm. It was like, get your hands dirty ministry. It, beautifully. Then we go up to Iganga, which is... Uh, Oh, Eastern Central Ugandan, uh, Uganda. It's on the way to Kenya. And it's, it's a large Muslim city, although Uganda primarily is Christian. This city is Muslim. I say primarily, you know, there's a lot of Muslims there. And you can see it in the way they dress and so forth. The, the ministry started right away in Uganda. There was a lot of door-to-door ministry. When I say door-to-door, businesses, schools. Our team going into Muslim schools, preaching the gospel, and having several dozen kids give their lives to Jesus. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Being asked to come into a bar. What, do you, what are you white people doing? They're called Mazungus in Uganda. I say they, we. Yeah. <laughs> white people are called Mazungus. We're in the middle of, of, of Uganda. Like, what, is, what are white people doing in our city? Right. Well, well, we're here to share about Jesus. Well, what about Jesus? Well, would you like to learn? They would share the gospel. In one, one occasion, in a bar, a gal gave her life to Jesus. They would go into salons where hair was being done. I mean, all over the place. I mean, not all of it was um, received well, but some of it was. Uh, some of it was argued. Some of it was received. And so our team got to see people transformed by Jesus, not in a church service, not in a church building, but right where where people are. It's like Jesus would meet them where they are. So that was powerful. Then the culmination, the crux of what we would call miracles would happen at the Crusades. I got the privilege of opening uh, the crusade preaching. I shared John three sixteen. Uh, many people got saved that night, and then they were given an opportunity to receive healing. Uh, many people got healed. Uh, we got to hear the next day of testimonies of one child who had an ear who hurt since the day he was born. So this child only knew this pain in his ear. You know how mm-hmm. 
frustrating that is to have ear pain when you're sleeping, when there's loud noises. And when we offer an opportunity to come forward for prayer, the children are often the first ones to run forward because they have health issues that doctors can't fix. Their mm. parents don't have money to go get fixed. They're running forward. Adults are coming forward. Elderly are coming forward. So this child with the ear problem came forward. This child's name, great name, Elvis, uh, <laughs> came awesome. forward for prayer and his ear was here. Mm, he healed. Praise God. That was on a um, Thursday night. On Sunday, he was still healed. You know, That's so our awesome. team got to yeah. smile with him, mm. celebrate with him, uh, rejoice with him. Mm -hmm. This child's been healed. Yeah, that's I mean, so awesome. Absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I prayed with a guy who had um, lung issues, uh, maybe a little younger than I am. And, you know, I was, it was loud music and uh, while we're praying and, you know, I was, so I was trying to talk to him and he's got broken English and I'm sure my accent was hard to understand, but I would just tell him, point to where you have problems. Mm -hmm. I would pray over him, pray over him, and then I would ask him, do you still have the problem? And mm -hmm. then he, he would give me a, a, a nod his head, yes. And so I'd keep praying and keep praying. And then as I kept praying, I'd say, how are you feeling? And then he'd smile at me and says, I'm good, I'm good. Wow. You know, it's like, okay, these That's awesome. healings are happening like right in front of us, not yeah. weeks and months of praying. It's just an invitation. Then during the healing, it would often be Pastor Alex that would uh, incite this. He would call upon the Holy Spirit to, to take over, to, for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, mm. for, the, for the Holy Spirit to be doing the work. It was an invitation of, of God to be glorified. Mm -hmm. Now, when that happened in a crusade context, you know, you got a lot of people there and the crowds have pressed forward. This is, salvations have already happened, names are documented, healings have come forward. Now, when you really call upon the power of God, that's when, mm. at least in the American cultural context, things get weird. Yeah. And it's it's like a domino effect. It starts yeah. with one. Yeah. Uh, like a woman will drop to the ground on the dirt and just start convulsing. Mm. Like, oh, like a seizures, like yeah. what we'd see people in a medical seizure. And people around typically don't do much. But the first night, Pastor Alex, he commissioned the team, take them to the tent. Two grown men would grab one person at the legs, one at the arms, and pick them up and bring them to a tent, lay them on tarps, and then a prayer team was there to cast out demons. Mm. They just start praying over them. Now, it starts with one, and the moment one happens, it's like the glory of God has fallen, and the demons do not like it. Another will fall. Another will fall. Young person, old person, woman. You know, the women sometimes are dressed nicely. They're in a dress. Mm -hmm. They're prepared for this. They come with like a, a blanket type, you know, um, item, like a sarong, and they, they always cover them. And then they go at war. At one point, I heard their prayer team called Demon Slayers. Mm, That's what they referred wow. to them as. And they're, they're, they're not afraid of this. This is just what they do. Yeah. And they're just rebuking demons, calling demons to come out, calling demons to live, uh, to leave, I mean. Mm. Uh, and it, it's crazy because some of these are quick. Some are like 45 minutes. Wow. And I've never seen as many as I saw in those three days. How many do you think you saw? Just hundreds, wow. hundreds of people delivered. Wow. Hundreds. Now, fast forward, then we'll go back to this. On Sunday, I preached at that church, which started a year ago. We helped plant that church mm -hmm. financially. Yeah. And I got to preach at it, and it very much felt like the upper room. And you're speaking of the church in Iganga? Yeah, in yeah. Iganga. And it's just, <laughs> just this archaic it's a beautiful thing. As I told you, I loved preaching there almost more than anywhere. Like there yeah. was no cameras on me. Yeah. There was no streaming of services. It just felt like this almost archaic experience. It was beautiful with people. And um, uh, there was there was a, a point in the service where there's commit, they're commissioning the lead pastors of this new church. And they brought everyone that had been saved a year earlier when they had done a crusade in Iganga and who was still a part of the church. Everyone had gotten saved, who mm. was a part of this church now, they came forward. And there was maybe like three dozen people, like 40, 50 people, mm -hmm. 30, 40, 50 people who come forward, who all got saved a year earlier, and most of them are leaders in the church now. Oh, that's so cool. And Alex at one point pointed to one person and said she was uh, demon-possessed and set free, mm. and now she's a leader. 
a year later. Wow. It, you know, so it's really exciting to see the potential of what God's able to do. We heard one testimony that day. We asked people, is there any testimonies of what God did, did this week? And one of them was uh, a gal who had never felt welcomed in church. Her whole life was oppressed. And when she came, she came forward for prayer. And one of the gals in our group, Cherie, uh, prayed for her and gave her a hug. And she said the moment she was hugged, she had never felt so accepted in her life. And then she came to church that Sunday and testified to that. That's like the freedom of deliverance. Mm. So to come back to these people being delivered, mm -hmm. they would be prayed over. At one point, I'm watching this almost like I'm watching like a, a, a car accident. Mm. You know how like when there's been a car accident, it's hard not to see what's happened. Yeah. Uh, was anybody injured? How bad was it? Mm. You know, you as terrible as that sounds, it's just that knee jerk like, man, I'm glad I wasn't in that. I want to see it. I want to see what's going on. You're kind of witnessing, you know, as you drive by this car accident. Well, that's how it felt being an American watching this type of deliverance. You're just kind of watching this with your jaw dropped, gaping open. Your yeah. eyes are focused and, you know, you're less engaged because you're more watching. And I did that night after night. And eventually by the last night, I'm down there with my hands on heads, <laughs> yelling at demons to leave and... <laughs> You know, not having the same, um, quite the same productivity because this is newer in my life. But I will say over those course of the night, so on one lady, maybe in her 30s or 40s, probably 40s, and she was being prayed over, prayed over, body flopping around, head, you know, um, arching back, uh, just a, a battle of, of physical and spiritual mm. and people just praying over her, praying over her, praying over her. 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes goes by. Eventually with these people, they pray and then they just let them be because their bodies go calm. Like the demons have left and they just let them go be. This lady went from this, her body convulsing like these seizures, if you will. She goes to a calm. She's laying there calm. She slowly gets in a posture and gets herself up she kneels down. She's, she's sitting on her feet, kneeling down. She raises up her hands. Her eyes are closed and her hands are just raised towards heaven, kneeling down. Hmm. And, wow. and there's people all around her. Now the people around her are being prayed over, demons cast out and so forth. There's, you know, loud, loud praying happening. I'm watching this character. She's, hmm. A new creation. Yeah. Literally, physically, she's just in a posture of worship. Nobody taught her to do that. Nobody told her to do this. She's just like wow. hands. I'm, I mean, the, my hands are raised right now for the listener. Hands raised up to heaven, arms up in the air. She's kneeling down in full worship under this tent where other people are being prayed over. That is the power of prayer mm. when Jesus Christ sets you free from demonic yeah. possession. Wow. Where demons from probably from the womb, you know, this is a Muslim culture, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of generational yeah. uh, uh, curses passed mm -hmm. down, mm -hmm. generational issues and so forth. And these people are being set free for the first time. Mm. Absolutely awesome to yeah. see. And by the way, for anyone that's hearing this, it, it's not always successful. You know, I'd say it's 90 plus percent successful. There's what do you, one what do you guy, think makes it unsuccessful? Well, there's one guy every night that they would, I mean, they spent hours mm. on this guy. Every night they would spend, mm -hmm. and typically it'd be one or two guys, men mm. that were focused on this man. And they, they focused a long time on this guy. And he never changed. And it's funny because like at the end of the night when the crusade's over, music ends and you know people are given final instructions and they're heading back to their portions of the city or villages it's crazy because after all that battling through prayer someone like that they'll just kind of get up and dust themselves off because mm. they're typically dirty from flopping around and stuff and just head home wow because when say your question again what you just asked well, I guess my, my, what I'm, uh, pondering in my mind is why would, why can we not, why, why, what is, what makes it unsuccessful? Meaning why are 90% of the people delivered and 10% mm. not? Well, that's a question I'm, I'm not convinced I, I can fully answer, but I want to 
give a much broader um, context of what was happening, particularly to our American listeners who may be unfamiliar with demonic or spiritual warfare and so forth. Number one, I would just say this. We have a lot of really dysfunctional, wrong, and warped view yes. of demons in America. Yes, I agree. Including the church. Yes. Most of the church has a really inaccurate view of what demons are, what they can do, how they operate, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So the the problem is like when we talk about demonic possession and we talk about deliverance and when we talk about those sort of things, oftentimes in America, what gets conjured up is what we've seen on a screen in yeah. Hollywood or what someone has said mm-hmm. or tragically what's been abused in the church. Mm-hmm. Some people have seen it done in a healthy manner in America, yeah. but the majority have not. Mm-hmm. And and we, you and I, would be in that majority yeah. that you know for decades following Jesus, I did not have an accurate view of the spiritual world. I knew angels were real, I knew demons were real, but I really didn't under, understand in a in a, a relevant context. That there's a spiritual realm and a war happening right now yeah. all around us, even to ourselves. And I think when I thought of, and I, I, I think many of our listeners would be similar, when I thought of demonic possession, I thought of like on TV or what I, I, I conjured up in my own imagination, that when you're possessed by a demon, you don't have control of your life. So when I talk about people flopping around all over the ground, it's like, see, that's demonic possession. They have control over everything. No, that's not demonic possession. A demonic possession, you still have control of your life when a demon has occupied an area of your heart and mind. Yeah. You, you still have full control of whether or not you're going to surrender to Jesus yes. and take authority over that demon. A demon doesn't have control over those things. Now, this is the weird tension of what you see in the natural and what's happening in the spiritual. Like when you see a deliverance like that, you're seeing the culmination of uh, the spirit of the living God, God himself, the Holy Spirit, and the demonic uh, waging at war. This, This activity that's been taking place for a very, very long time in the natural. Someone walking around every day who is being influenced by a demon or demons and not surrender to the Lord, who look like they're living seemingly normal lives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the person that doesn't get delivered, why, why are they not delivered? There could be multiple factors. Yeah. On one occasion in the scriptures, when there was a a child who, who the disciples tried to heal, and even deliver a demon, and they were unsuccessful. Mm. When that child was brought before Jesus, Jesus didn't didn't argue with the demon. It didn't take Jesus long at all. All right. he did is rebuke the demon one time. Yes. The authority of who Jesus is. Yeah. He told the demon to, to leave him, to flee from mm-hmm. him in just a moment. Mm-hmm. And that demon left, and the boy was healed physiologically, medically, and the demon was gone. The tormenting was gone. Now, what the disciples asked, wait a second, we just wrestled with this. Who knows how long? Yeah. <laughs> I imagine like the Crusades, maybe like the, the ones I witnessed that didn't get delivered. And there wasn't a lot. There was only a few uh, that did not. Maybe it was similar, like the disciples who pressed in, who pressed in. They did what they'd done before. But Jesus' response was, this kind can only be delivered with prayer. And then some manuscripts say, if you read in yeah. your Bibles, with prayer and fasting. And fasting, yeah. That, that this takes a, I would say, a full surrender to God. Yeah. You know, fasting is devoting and, and removing something, namely food, mm-hmm. to focus Right. Uh, all attention on God. And Jesus is saying mm-hmm. this kind yeah. is the fully surrendered. This required the power and the authority of God. You don't do this on your own strength. You don't do this like a formula. You know, this, this kind is going to happen w- w- through the power of God. So I don't know if I, if I could um, theorize, that would be my theory is this kind requires more. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even know, to be honest, like um, this is new. But I will say, I saw many miracles while in Uganda in that context. 
And it's awesome to see because there's, it's not weird. Yeah. There's a liberation and a liberty that comes with this. And it's, we at Journey have experienced this over the last year, 2023, more than we have in the entirety of and more this year in 2023 than we have in our nearly 14 years yeah, of existing. So if we took the first 13 years and said, uh, it would take all those examples of, of uh, deliverance or people set free from that versus what's happened this year. We had more happen this year yes. than all those other years. Now, the difference this year would be prayer. Mm-hmm. We really... I, I want to say it this way, but it could be misunderstood. We we really took prayer seriously. Yeah. And it wasn't one person. You know, the pastor Noah, who's our pastor of prayer, leads a prayer group on Thursdays. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't just that. But at those prayer groups Thursday, when someone came in and they have issues in their lives, there was a discernment that would take place and say, "This is not like a a prayer request. Like, oh God, help this person." And then that they, this person would get an answer of prayer. They got helped. This person would need a deliverance. Yeah. They're allowing the demonic to rule and to reign in their lives. Now, where did that demonic come from? It comes from all different places. Right. It can come from trauma from someone else. It could come from an invitation of doing right. uh, witchcraft, which comes in many different forms today. I mean, we hear the word witchcraft and think, we don't have that today. No, we do too. Absolutely, we Just do. Just go to Barnes & Noble, yeah. pick up a Ouija board, tarot cards. Yeah. All those are sold at Barnes yes. & Noble. That is witchcraft. Yes. It's, it's the demonic activity we see in the Old Testament, New Testament, and Satan is still using the same tactics he did 4,000 years ago. They're still being used today. Yeah. And when we do that, we welcome Satan or the principalities of, of this world. Satan's the prince of this world into our lives. And so a journey when someone has come and they're having deeper issues, we can actually have the discernment now and say, hey, there, there needs to be a deliverance. And, and the way that that happens is a full surrender to Jesus. That person has to acknowledge their need for Jesus. Those demons have to flee <laughs> because of the authority of Jesus. Yeah. And it, typically this is all done with God's word, uh, the authority of, of claiming the promises of scripture, the name of Jesus. So we, my point in sharing all that about Journey Church is we see on a micro scale what happened on a macro scale. Mm-hmm. In, in Uganda, you know, I think, and I, and then I think the, uh, the thought would be, or the question would be, um, if we are only seeing it on a micro scale, um, why? Because I don't think that we have any less demonic activity here. No, we have I as much we, or more. I think we hide it. Yes. I think the enemy has been really clever with America mm-hmm. and he has, he, he has, um, convinced, you know, us that we're too dignified, um, to, uh, acknowledge Mm -hmm. demons. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I think there's just been some, uh, lots of enemy activity in, in this country. Yes. I think that, that makes us feel like, oh, we don't, we don't deal with that here. Well, we absolutely do. Let me tell you a story about that. Pastor Alex has a master's degree from an American seminary and a doctorate degree from an American seminary. That's how I met him when he was going to school at Multnomah Seminary in yeah. Portland, Oregon. Now, Multnomah is theologically conservative. Right. And he originally went to Multnomah because he was sponsored by an American couple to get this graduate level training. Now, when he was in seminary, he was, of course, in seminary with all of these Americans, but he was in one particular Bible class, theology class, whatever it was, and he, there was one other African. I, I don't believe he was from Uganda, from some other country in Africa. So you got two Africans and all these Americans. The professor of the class has a theological stance of cessationism. Mm. So the, the professor believes that the spiritual gifts mm. have ceased after the first century, uh, after the first century, after uh, the first century church. And so here they are in a theological class where it's actually being taught that the spiritual gifts are, are no wow. longer necessarily needed in the church mm-hmm. and uh, demonic activity no mm-hmm. longer uh, works the way it does mm-hmm. uh, in uh, mm-hmm. scriptural mm-hmm. Um, uh, history. So 
take that there and you got two Africans who are kind of looking at each right? other saying, uh, we've seen it. Now, I'm not making this up. Pastor Alex told me this. Now, let me just take a pause in the story and say one of the things that Dr. Alex Mutagubia, Pastor Alex, told, told me on this trip, he told me several times, there is no place harder in the world to pastor church than America. Yeah. I mean, he would say things like this. I don't know how you do it. We've got every distraction in the world and many people give into it. So now to lead them to full surrender of discipleship of following Jesus, is there any place harder in the world than America? Well, in his opinion, there's America's the hardest. And part of it is based on this story I'm telling you. So this professor is leading this class that way and teaching future pastors that you don't really need to be equipped in spiritual warfare. Mm. Now, Fast forward a few months into this class, this professor is also pastoring a, a, a church in Portland and has demonic activity in a congregate, in a person at the church. Oh. Comes to the class and comes to the Africans and says, what do you do about this? Oh, wow. About the demonic. Oh, wow. I'm not making this story up. <laughs> At a seminary, an American seminary, wow. the professor yeah. is coming to the students from Africa saying, what do you do about the demonic? Wow. And it was simple. It wasn't scary. It wasn't right. weird. It was like, you, you take authority yeah. over the demons Jesus in Jesus' name. all authority. And, and yeah. you, 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 you rebuke those demons. Right. You get to the heart of it and you let that person know and you point them to Jesus. And so... This professor invited them in to, wow. de- to demonstrate, and this was privately, not professionally in school. And Alex told me this story, and you know he goes on to get his doctorate degree at the same type of school, and just that tension of, of getting an education from a place that theologically yeah. has a different bent than what he believes, in, because the interpretation of scripture, nowhere, nowhere gives us any indication that... The, the gifts have spiritual ceased. gifts have ceased and that we are no longer having to deal with what we read in the New Testament. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think that what's really frightening is that uh, there is a large percentage of Christians that, yes. that take the view of cessationists. Oh, um, but I agree yes. with you. Like, There's a whole movie out it, right now. I mean, on Netflix, I believe it's on Netflix or Prime or one of those streaming services called cessationist or cessationism or something like that. Mm. I'll look it up because I I don't even want to watch it because I think it would anger me so much. And it essentially is arguing towards this. And the the crazy irony is there's not a biblical argument for this. No. And that's what I was going to say was we, we have to be really careful not to create a, uh, like a prohibition against something that is not clear in scripture. Like the, the only arguments I've heard for cessationism, uh, they have to do like extreme, I would call it theological gymnastics to get there. Yes. And there's nowhere clear in scripture that says that the gifts have ceased. Yes. Um, so what's what, and my point being is Dr. Alex is an example of having gone through, um, school in America, in mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon, yes. that's teaching this. And yes. that's a really, talk about a tool of the enemy yes. um, to essentially render half of Christians uh, powerless um, in their walk because they're, you know, I don't know if, I don't know how many, what a percentage would be of, of people that don't half. believe in spiritual gifts right. um, or, or that the demonic can really happen today. Um, but gosh, what a tool of the enemy. Well, and I, I'll, be fully transparent in my own story. I got saved at 15 years old in a church that's cessationist. Uh, it was a, a Berean fundamental Bible church. Mm-hmm. So they believed in the Bible, took the Bible very serious, very literal. I heard the gospel. I got saved because of Jesus, but I, I got saved in a very conservative context. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I went off to college, to a Christian college, my mind was like blown. I was like, wait a second. There's the church is bigger than I understood. I mean, I, my mind was just rocked. Mm. And since that time in college to present day, my mind continues to grow with the beauty uh, of, of the diversity of the bride of Christ, the, the church that God is building. His, Jesus said, I will build my church. This is his church. And 
I, I thank God that I got saved in a, a fundamentalist cessationist church, but I can look back and testify that was not the whole church. Yeah. Like, and, and in fact, at Journey Church, when we started nearly 14 years ago, we started very much living like cessationists. I, I agree. I, I, I didn't empower the church. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think that that would have been the theological stance you would have said that no. we were cessationists. However, I agree with you. I didn't walk in anointing. The verse I, I shared earlier about in 1 John 2, 27, that we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit in Jesus. So we have the very spirit of Jesus in us, yeah. the person of God, the Holy Spirit in us. If we don't take that serious at Galatians 5, if we're not walking in the Spirit, how in the world do we experience the things Jesus talked yeah. about in the book of John when he says, you will do greater yeah. things than these? Now, the way you do that is you do what Jesus did. He and the Father and the Spirit were three and perfectly one. And I, 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 just, I don't know if I understood uh the awe and wonder of walking in step with the spirit. Yeah. Because well, look oh, at ahead. look at uh, in Acts, um, you know where where it, it it talks about in 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 the last days I will pour out my spirit. Like yes. like we are in the last days. Come on. And there is no there is no way that we will ever um, complete the mandate of scripture, the 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 great commission, Come on. without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's it's impossible. And I, so, I love that quote from Joel in Acts because it's it's men, women, young, old. It's everyone. It's everyone. everyone. It's the, the church. This is not. Yeah. It's it's all of the church. It's men and women. Come on. <laughs> it's young and old, like you just said. Yes. Uh, it is everybody. He's going to pour out his spirit, and we are in those days, right? We are in the days between the two comings in Jesus, and this is this is the church age. This Come is on. when our we are what like heard it called the year of the Lord's favor. Like this is when we are to invite everyone Let's to go. the table of Jesus yes. and the table's open right now. Yes. Like judge final judgment at, you know, hasn't happened. Like the Come table's on. open and, uh, and our mandate is to bring everyone with us to the table. Hey, I couldn't agree with you more, Kara. I, you're just exciting me right now because when I go back to the beginning of this podcast and say the first day when I was in Uganda and I got to go where Jesus would go to hang out with people Jesus would hang out with in Matthew 25 when Jesus separates the goats and the sheep and, and when he gives a testimony to those who get to spend eternity with him there's a deep confusion on, on those that thought they were doing the right thing mm. they, they, were, they were doing the, the works of God and yet the very thing that Jesus says the reason reason you will not spend eternity with me is I do not know, know you. you. He, he wants Yikes. us to be known by him yeah. and he wants, he wants to make sure that we know him and that yeah. he knows us. You know, he already knows us, you know, Psalm 139, he, he searched me and you know my thoughts. Yeah. He, he knows us, but are, are we being known by him? And if we do, we know what that looks like because he says it. We're going to give a cup of cold water to those who are yeah. thirsty. Yeah. We're going to clothe the naked who are cold. We're going to visit those in prison. Yeah. We're going to go visit those whom, whom Jesus would. And I look at, you know, this year, like I said, this year, we've had more deliverance this year at Journey than we've ever had at Journey uh, because... We're now going into the prison. Yeah. And you know, we baptize people in the prison. Mm -hmm. those, those people love Journey Church in the prison. And they don't love Journey Church. They love being a part of Journey Church because it's all about Jesus. Now, I look at that, Kara. And I look at God's blessing upon Journey Church this year. We are caring about what Jesus cares about. And because of that, we're getting the, the manifestation or the, the fruit of what only God can yeah. do. Amen. And I actually believe we're just getting started. Yes. Pursuit nights on Sunday nights were just like a glimpse of that, offering people to get prayer, believing yeah. God at his word. Yeah, and I, I would say another um, testimony to what you're talking about is like I regularly hear, um, like regularly hear testimonies of people that are healed physically. Yes. Um, and that to be clear, like that's not all we're after, No, but, but Jesus is the healer. And so we can come to him and ask for healing and he gives Amen. it. And, um, and so even just yesterday I heard a, a testimony of, of a prayer warrior in our church, Lupe. She testified to two, two different recently, um, women that she's prayed over that have had issues in their pregnancy. One with an umbilical cord issue, one with a placenta issue, both issues were healed. Yes. Both. Now, if we have an issue 
and then we bring it to God in prayer, and then the issue is no longer. We have to give him the glory. Come on. Like, it is not a coincidence. I was talking to a guy on the phone yesterday who was battling such high cholesterol because he was having heart issues, uh, uh, probably a genetic heart issue, high, high cholesterol uh, a year and a half ago. He is now, his cholesterol is below normal levels, and the people around him are asking, well, what did you do? He's giving credit to God. Mm. Doctors are refusing to give credit to God. Of course. He's got uh, 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 people in his, his uh, work environment. He's in construction, and there's a, <laughs> there's a builder who's like, well, what did you do? What did you do differently? Mm. What pills did you pop? Mm-hmm. What, what foods did you eat? And he's like, it's God. Mm. And he, this Praise guy God. refuses. He's like, no, that's, that, that can't be. Like, you got to tell me what you did. And he's giving full credit to God as, as healer. Yeah. The same guy was giving me a testimony of going to Colorado and he has a huge truck, a diesel truck that was having issues. Check engine light comes on, truck is jerking, and he prays over the truck because he knows he's in the middle of nowhere, he's far from home, and it's gonna cost a lot of money to get this fixed. Check engine lights on, truck is driving wrong. Praise, praise, praise. The check engine light goes away, Truck is normal and has never had a problem since. Wow. Now, some people just say, well, that's a coincidence. No, no, it's not. No. Why can, why can Jesus not have the power to be a mechanic or to heal a womb or to yeah. heal a cholesterol? Now, there will be skeptics out there. And we have had people leave our church. We've had people criticize our church. There are skeptics out there that just don't believe this. And then they think we're fanatics and we're focused on this. It actually has nothing to do with these things because here's the problem. When Jesus heals you of one thing, you're going to have another. All of this comes down to discipleship. We want to make disciples of all the nations. And Jesus says, when you make a disciple of all the nations, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in Matthew 28. He says, and teaching them all that I have commanded. Well, if you take Jesus at his word, this, this lit me on fire after our sabbatical. I came to the elders and I brought my Bible and said, if I do anything outside the Bible, yeah. you have permission to fire me, hold me accountable. Yeah. But I said, I want to take this serious. Yeah. Well, Jesus taught his disciples how to cast out demons. Yeah. Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, I want to take Jesus at his word. So how can we take that in Matthew 28 and say, and teaching them all that I've commanded right. and say, well, now I want to pick and choose yeah. what I'm going to teach, I'm gonna, how yeah. I'm going to teach it. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I, I am like so convinced that, you know, we came back from sabbatical saying Jesus has authority over this region. Yes. Essentially taking claim to this region. Like, like Jesus is King over this region. And, and, because we were defeated, to clarify to everyone, when you're defeated, you can't operate in authority. You have no life, no right. joy. God restored that in us. Yeah. And since being back, that's not left us. Yeah, and we and for me, I'll speak for myself. Um, I, I I see things in a through spiritual through a spiritual lens now. Like we live in a spiritual world, and, yes, if, we and do. If, when we don't acknowledge that or recognize that, it's it's too. It's to our detriment because we live in a spiritual world. But yet, you're being deceived. You're more being you're, deceived. You're exactly. Being and I was deceived for a lot of yes. years. And my point in all of that being that that I don't think we will. Um, I mean, the, the again, I guess going back to what I was saying earlier is with the mandate of the Great Commission, we cannot. It, it it's essentially a it's a a call to partner with with God and the restoration of, of all things. Come on. And, and a part of that is healing. A part of that is casting out demons. Amen. It's, Amen. it's literally, he wants to restore us to our original purpose. Let's he wants go. to bring us like back to Shalom. Yes. And, and so the only way we're going to accomplish that, the only way we're going to get to the end of our life and say, we, we left everything, left it all on the field. The yes. only way is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I could completely agree. And for those who might be listening and this is new, I just want to encourage you in the name of Jesus Christ, I implore you to pray and to go to God's word and to ask God for revelation of what his word says, that we don't have to make these things up, that God has given us everything we need. 
And I'm talking about the whole Bible from the beginning to end, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Because when we were on sabbatical, the vision that God gave me so clearly about the region we live in, Central Oregon, because I was feeling so defeated, I just uh, politically, um, what was happening with schools, with gender, uh, what was happening with drugs, and just uh, so many suicides and depression and uh, pedophilia in this region yeah. is rampant. And all of these things weighed on me as a pastor because I saw them. I was doing funerals for people committing suicide, yeah. and, uh, overdosing on drugs, and seeing all these things, divorce and affairs and so much stuff, right? You take all that. What God gave me as, as a visualization of what happened in this area are the 12 spies. Yeah. That before there was victory and Canaan became the promised land, which is now modern day Israel, God uh, allowed 12 spies to go in. And of these 12 spies, 10 of them were cowards. 10 of them saw the reality of Canaan and they yeah. said, it is They're, occupied. Yep. And, and in the occupation, they said, listen, yes, it looks good. Yes, there's potential, but it will never be ours because those are giants. Not only are they giants, but their walls are fortified. Right. We've got to turn back. Let's go back to slavery. Yeah. Let's go back to what's familiar. But there was two, and I believe there was an impartation from God of the very same spirit that was in Joshua and Caleb yeah. entered into my heart. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit because Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, yes, there's giants, but God said that's ours. Yeah. We got to take it. And if you keep reading, you read through the book of Joshua, it was not easy. Right. There was battles. And I believe that God's called us to fight battles and to take claim and know there's victory. Yeah. It's like Caleb, Joshua spirit. And I love it because, you know, we're at the midlife right now. We keep looking at each other and be like, man, we're getting old. I'm 46 years old now. I want the Caleb spirit where I as a spy right now, I can say it's ours and it's not finished yet. Yeah. But when Caleb moved in, he was an old man. He still had the same piss and vinegar in him at 80 years old that he had at 46 years old. Mm. He's like, I want my land. Give it to right? me. I have fought the good fight. Yeah. I worked hard for this and I want to see that over this region. Oh yeah. I, I Amen. People set free. No more fentanyl deaths. No yeah. more meth. No more heroin. No more abuse of women. Yeah. I, I want to see no more pornography addiction. Yeah. I want to see this place set free. I want every cannabis shop to close down because people are seeping sleeping soundly. I want yeah. there to be no more need for counselors because marriages are healthy. I mean, just imagine what God could do right? if there's a restoration, just like you said, you're better with words than I am. What did you say? The restoration of oh, the... That he's, he, he, God wants us to partner with him in, in the restoration of, of all things. That's what he's doing. All like things. it's, it's, he wants to restore us. Hey. I mean, wow. Man, I, I'll tell you, we wanted to share just some of the stories of Uganda, but then I think it just led into what's happening in our lives and in at least Journey Church today. This is well, Confessions to, of a Pastor. It's hard to talk about these things in Uganda and not reflect yes. home. And this is... This is where God's called us. Yes. What does it look like here? Well, and, and we've talked a lot about the, the trauma that happens with the team when they go experience the might and glory of God, and then they step back into yeah. um, America, a, a world yeah. that doesn't experience what they just experienced. Mm -hmm. We likened it to war. Mm -hmm. You know, a soldier goes to war and they come back. Everyone else has been living life like normal. Right. Well, for those people that go to Uganda and they're praying over people and they're getting saved and they're getting healed and they're seeing deliverance and they're witnessing the work of God and they come back and everyone else is living like normal. Yeah. And they're like, what just Guys, happened? Let, let's do greater things. Yeah. And there, there's this, yeah. this weird dichotomy, but I do believe we're in a season right now. Jesus is coming that the Holy Spirit's moving and he's yes. using the local church. I'm praying it over all churches, not just journey, but we pastor journey church. And yeah. so working through the local church, we're inviting God. Yeah. Have your way through your church. Amen. Remove anything that's not of you. Mm -hmm. Replace it with, with that which is of you, your righteousness, your goodness, more of you, Lord. So good. Do you have any final thoughts, Kara? <laughs> how, how long have we gone? You got oh, the... 57 minutes. Okay, we should probably wow. wrap this sucker up. We should wrap this This might up. be the longest one ever. I don't think so. Oh, um, I, I guess this conversation is just, it's exciting to me because I, because there's, there's hope. Amen. Um, you know, um, I love the, um, the definition that of hope that, um, that you gave on Sunday that, you know, I, 
gleaned from Christy McClellan yes. and, and I'll share it here. It's, it's, it's the act of conviction. Her definition of it is the act of conviction that uh, despair will not have the final word. And that's, Come on. that's, that's at the heart of hope. And to me, it's like all this, there's just hope in all of it. Yes. Like you brought hope to Egonga. Like you Come built on. a whole church in bend off of hope. Hey. There's hope for everyone at journey hey. church. There's hope for everyone with Jesus. Praise you know, so Jesus. to me, it's just, it's stories of hope. It's stories of restoration. It's stories mm. of deliverance, of healing, yes. of salvation, of, um, I mean, it's just, that's why we're here. Like it's super yes. exciting to me. So I actually feel honored that we even get to partner with God Amen. in what he's doing in the, in this world. So come on. Thankful and, for that. You know, I want to take that even further because I, I agree with you and I, I love that definition that hope is the act of conviction, that despair does not have the final word. And just this conversation we've had with uh, our, just a couple microphones hitting a record button on a little card. We didn't think this would go anywhere. And the fact that we keep getting encouraged from people listening to this podcast, I believe there's a hunger and a movement from God yes, for more. I agree. In our individual lives, in our marriages, in our family. Yes. And if I could just infuse that across whatever waves this works, that there is hope for you. That God does not want to leave you where you yeah. are, no matter where you came from, no matter what understanding or lies the enemy has tried to pour into you, those can be freed and delivered in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Sometimes it, happen, it happens uh, instantly. Sometimes it's this journey of, of liberty that God is, 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 is setting you on the trajectory. And so let me just pray with you, our listeners. God, I thank you that you've equipped us with everything we need. Namely, it's you, Lord. So we cry out to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to empower your church, that we would be your witnesses mm -hmm. wherever we go, that we would have power as you promised in Acts 1-8, Jesus, that we would have the power to do what you want us to do, that we would see people the way you see it, that there would be a new boldness in your church, that people would be getting saved everywhere. And Lord, I just thank Thank you for all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the journey of confessions of a pastor. Please hit subscribe and rate. We are better together. See you next time.